My name is Eric Hundley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. Today, we're joined by Zach Elwood, or Zachary Elwood. He goes by both, and Zach is in a unique position. He is a former professional poker player, but he's also, I'd say, a coach or mentor to other poker players out there and studies reading poker tells, body language, and how to get ahead in the game. How are you doing today, Zach? All right. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. And I was just talking about before the show, and I know next to nothing about poker. I mean, I, I've seen um, I've seen it played in movies, and you know I, I'm sure that I you know played around when I was in high school and probably lost my lunch money a few times. But I I really 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 have no clue or idea about it. So we, we've got to understand we're starting at ground zero. But I'm gotcha. very interested in the the sexy lifestyle mm-hmm. of the professional <laughs> poker player. You want right. to talk about that a little bit? Are you Dan Blazarian? Oh, uh, not quite. Uh, you know, yeah, can't 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 compete with him um, on that level, on the on the sexiness level. But uh, you know, there there definitely is a um, a sexy quality, especially with the poker behavior aspect, like the poker tells aspect. Like, because you know, I try to be honest with people in my books and and tell them the full scope of you know, poker is mostly about strategy, and mm-hmm. poker tells is a is a small part of the game really like you can, you can add to your win rate, but most of it is just thinking it through logically the best strategies and trying to find the best strategies. But, uh, as far as like the lifestyle, no, I was, I was never leading some crazy high stakes life. I mean, I, I never played very high stakes myself. I, I played in like a, a mid range, uh, stakes when I was playing for a living. And, uh, you know, but the, the, I think that the, you're right that the sexiness, there is something kind of like, dangerous and exciting about the uh the poker world you know and that that kind of was an aspect uh, for me getting into it drew me to it also just the psychology of it uh i've always i was already always interested in the psychology aspects of it but i think you're right that some people are drawn to that kind of like oh this is this is exciting this is some you know these these cd games and and backroom games and uh the weird characters you'll meet is part of the appeal i think yeah it almost feels to me like you're just shy of being a criminal, but it's legal. So you can, you know, you can be a bad boy, but it's not against the law. Well, depending on where you are, right. I'm sure that some are. And depending on the, the, the frame, depending on the context, it's, it can be a very nerdy uh, pastime, but yeah, there is the, there is, there is that element. Like when I played in Albuquerque, uh, that's where I started playing for a living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is, can be a rough town. Like I, I knew somebody I played poker with that got shot to death and I knew people that got, you mm-hmm. know, uh, mugged and beaten up and went to the hospital coming out of home games. And, you know, that it, it has definitely can have a, uh, you know, that, that, that element, but, you know, for, in a lot of cases, it's just like, uh, it can also just be a lot of, a lot, lot of nerdy, uh, math oriented people playing online. You know, it's, it has various, uh, depending on the, on the setting, it has different, uh, moods. Okay. That's fascinating about the online, because I think you already answered a question I've always had about online, because I always thought that poker was all tells. Now you're sort of saying that, eh, it's like a five to 10% ratio. Yeah. I think you said in the book, um, and it's all strategy. And is that how online video poker can, somebody can be successful at it is because right. you don't and, have and, to have a tell. 
And it's not now to clarify, it's not video poker. That's like the, you know, something you play at the the bar just against the machine. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, so it'd be online poker. But um, yeah, it's mostly, yeah, like I say in the in the books, it's, you know, you can be a you can be a hugely winning poker player and never think about tells. Tells are something that um, are like the icing on the cake, so to speak. Like they're something that can add to your win rate if you're aware of them in, in live games. But, uh, you know, you can you can be a great player and there's many great players that never, you know, probably hardly ever think about tells. Uh, and, and so the, the truth is, it's just poker is just such a complex game. Like, um, when you take no limit poker, trying to solve it from like a game theory perspective is, is it's a more complex game than chess. You know, there's more, there's more game, hmm. more of the game tree it's a more complex game tree. Like when you think about what is the proper sizing bet sizing you have, in this scenario, what do you do when someone raises you at this X amount of bet sizing? You know, no limit is just, it has a tremendously complex uh, game tree as they call it. And, and there's, you know, there's, there's programs, there's uh, people creating algorithms trying to solve it, you know, but it's, it's, uh, it's even more complex than chess to try to f- approach something that is like, this is the right decision, you know, and, and will not lose money to a better um, strategy. So yeah, it's tremendously complex, and, and and the thing about poker is it's it's deceptively simple seeming on the surface because you can play poker for a few minutes and be like, oh, this makes sense. I get the idea. You know, it seems simple, but its seeming simplicity is where all the money lies because you know from Dunning Kruger effect, you can you can quickly <laughs> get the impression that you are very good at something when you actually have many many years ahead of you to get good at something. Great point about Dunning Kruger and. Um, I think I've read somewhere and I had a theory that it might be true that gambling addictions, because I'm sure that's something you have to deal with in the field or really look at, but someone who goes out the gate and they win a lot of money, like on their first run, tend to become the gambling addicts later on in life because they're chasing that, you know, they did it. It was Mm -hmm, so easy mm -hmm. and the full on Dunning Kruger in that effect. Whereas somebody like me, who's just a loser. I'm not likely to become addicted. I won't even play the freaking lottery because I'm like, well, that's another dollar in my pocket. No, you're, you're right. I mean, that's a, it's a good observation. I mean, there's plenty of people in the poker world that had early success that I think, you know, in my opinion and, and probably many people's opinions, it was probably the worst thing to happen to them. You know, like they quickly run, won a big tournament right out the gate and then they were, you know, they got a mistaken idea of, of how easy that lifestyle would be. Then they quickly went through it, you know, that money and, uh, you know, quickly went on the more realistic downswing that, you know, was the long-term reality. And yeah, that, that kind of stuff sets you up for failure. I mean, uh, I, I can easily imagine, you know, that, that happening to me if I, if I had been, uh, and actually I did have something like that when I first started playing online, I had a huge winning first month. Like I won like $16,000 or something my first month of online poker, which was, and it wasn't mm. even that high stakes. It was like pretty low stakes. And I was like, wow, this is easy. You know? And I, went around like a jackass acting like I was a big shot for a while and telling my friends and then, you know, lost like 5,000 the next month, lost a few thousand the next month. So it's a long-term game, you know, and I was, I was very inexperienced when I started out, but I got that. I did, I did, I had that impression and that, and that can easily happen, you know, as you can imagine anyone, when you talk, you know, when you talk about the swings that are possible and, and poker, at any given time, someone's experiencing easily experiencing a unrealistic upswing early on in their career, which sets them up for emotional, uh, you know, hardship. 
Can we talk about your career? I mean, uh, how does one get into that? You just saw an ad in the paper and said, well, you have a game at the place. How'd you know? It was a long, for me, it was a long kind of process. Like I used to play poker at my friend's house with, when I was young, like in, you know, uh, middle school and high school, I went over and played with his parents and his parents' friends. And it seemed like this cool environment, you know, and I was really always interested in the psychology of it too. Cause my, my uh, dad had a lot of random psychology books floating around the house and I was reading, you know, like Freud's, uh, path of psychology, the, the, what is it? The uh, pathology of, uh, everyday life or the path of psychology of everyday life about, you know, obs- observing everyday things and, and trying to find meaning in them. So I had that kind of background. And then in college, I was organizing games. Uh, I had I had met some people who were interested in poker and I organized games and took my friend's money and because I took it more seriously than they did, you know, uh, and I was reading books about it and then started playing online when that became available in, in like 2000, around the year 2000. Um, and then I moved to Albuquerque and met some people who were, you know, this was right around when the poker boom was happening in 2003 when when thing, poker was really becoming popular and so in albuquerque when i played in the casinos there i met some people who were playing higher stakes than i was and they took it more seriously than i did and they were actually you know making a living at it because the poker boom meant that there were just a lot of bad players playing so uh, mm. so I, I started being more encouraged to get into it and that's what led to me playing at the casino and online for a few years in a row this was like three and a half years four years and then after that, I just played on the side. Like it was never my intention to do this for a living. And honestly, it, you know, it, it's it's a hard psychological way to make a living. There, you know, even when you're doing well, it's like, you know, as you probably know, the 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 negative negative things that happen to us affect us more than the positive things. So there can sure. kind of be this tendency, even when you're doing well at poker, to kind of store the negative uh, sessions and the negative things that happen to you much more than you do the positive things. And so it, I think, especially if you're not, you know, cut out for it emotionally, it can be very trying on you. And uh, so for me, yeah, I was, it was pretty anxiety producing more than I think for other people who might just be more emotionally steady people, you know? Uh, so that's one of the reasons I didn't want to do it long-term. Like I never had the inclination to like move to Vegas and play high stakes or anything like that. It, it was, I kind of had an awareness that, that was not in the cards for me. So, so to speak, the, uh, just knowing myself emotionally and knowing how kind of isolating poker was and how anxiety producing it was. Uh, so, and I was much happier playing on the side, you know, since then it just was much less pressure and you don't do it as much. Don't the, as they say, it's a, it's a hard way to, to make an easy living, I think is the, is the same. <laughs> uh, so yeah. And, and then while I was playing for a living and, you know, like 2004 to 2000, uh, 2003 to 2007 around that the uh i, I had the idea that I, I saw very few poker books that i uh poker tells books that i respected there was the classic mike Carroll book which was written in like 1980 which was considered like the the best book and but i had always i'd always observed things that, and i knew and i talked to other poker players who had observed things that i had just never seen written about which was kind of how that led to me over the years eventually in like 2010 i decided to to do it when I didn't see another book come out that I respected, I decided to write it myself. And and that's what led to that stuff. So do you get more joys or more joy out of studying the mechanics and the atmosphere of the game versus playing the game yourself? 
It's complicated. I mean, I, I like, I have a kind of have a love hate relationship with poker, which I think is true for a lot of people. You can, you can find similar um, people saying similar things. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I was always drawn to it. uh, But it was also like, it's, it wears on you. I feel it wore, it wore on me emotionally to play it for, you know, many hours in a week, uh, like a, like treating it like a job, you know, it was, was very wearing on me. Um, I think that's a pretty common thing. I mean, I think there's very few people too that have kind of what they call alligator blood, you know, which is kind of this like coldness about, you know, the swings of poker and the, you know, taking a bad beat, you know, getting a really unlucky, you know, beat is, is a bad beat. Uh, those things can really wear on you, but some people I think are, are just more emotionally cold in that respect and, and can handle that stuff better. Yeah. That's one thing. Um, I, I don't know if it's a direct comparison, but I was stationed in California when I was in the army at Fort Irwin and went to Vegas and I played blackjack and, you know, I followed the basic rules of, you know, as I was told, very, very careful, do this, do this, do this. And I, I won. I probably came, came out with 100 something ahead, whatever. It's very small stakes. But I couldn't help but think, Jesus, this is a job. I make more money per hour doing anything else than just sitting here at the table doing that. Is that a similar type of scenario that, that poker can actually be work? Like you've got to put hours and. Oh, for sure. I mean,. It's work in the sense of actually playing the game, but if you're serious about poker, you should you should constantly be studying it because there's just so much to learn. I mean, and, and and honestly, it's it's rare it's a rare person that can be objective enough to realize all the things that need to be realized to be a you know a, a very strong uh, player of poker because you have to be objective enough to recognize your own flaws and be honest about them. You have to also realize how little, you know, which is there's that tempting Dunning Kruger thing to overestimate what, you know, you have to, you, you have to realize just how complex the, you know, where all the factors are and recognize mm-hmm. like, well, I know very little about this area. You know, uh, there's just so much learning. I mean, the, the nice thing about poker, what really draws drew me to poker was that it is such a complex game, you know, not just the strategy and math of it, but the um, the psychology of it, the um, you know that it's theoretically kind of in a in a Zen way that it's it's such a wide open um, framework that you can imagine you know working your whole life on poker and, and never maxing out your your abilities. You know it it is that it is that complex, um, and yeah, it's 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 work for sure, and 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 understanding where you stand in the hierarchy of skill can be kind of draining because you know my my estimate of my own game for example is has gone down over time as you know as they've come out with more uh, more learnings about uh what the what the right thing to do is in certain poker situations my awareness of like oh i don't understand this game theory optimal uh stuff that which is very complex so if anything my my, my own estimate of, of my game is as much as I'm probably am actually getting better, I also feel mm-hmm. like I'm more aware of how much I, how little I know, you know. Well, that's again Dunning Kruger, but um, isn't that a factor of because you are consuming so much knowledge, you, you have to be smart enough to be able to look and see what's around the corner, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know the the less you know, it's like okay, I know these ten things and I know them really well, 
but it but those 10 things open up the path to suddenly see the thousand next things that you really mm -hmm. couldn't see to begin with because you can't see the nuance until you get the beats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's and to answer yeah, to answer your question it's it is it is work and uh and it's not uh and also it's yeah, it's not as not as not as exciting and sexy as it appears because when you get down to it most of most poker is about most winning poker is about just taking advantage of weaker players who don't know that much, you know, like that's where, you know, if you're making your living as a poker player, 90% of your, of your income comes from just basically taking advantage of, of pretty weak players, you know, players who overestimate their abilities. Some of, some of your income yeah. will come from people who are close in skill to you, but the large majority of it is trickling up from people who just don't know much about what they're doing and shouldn't, probably they should be should, shouldn't be playing at that level you know or they're just rich and they don't care or something you know how do you deal with that is is that part of it that troubled you because honestly i would feel bad especially if i got a vibe that you know maybe they just got their paycheck may, maybe they won't make their rent you know do they have a wife and kid at home are people eating how do you yeah. cope it's a real it's a real i mean it's a real uh that's a real thing to deal with too i mean uh as much as some people will try to avoid that, I mean, you can definitely find forum poker forum threads about that very subject, though, like, uh, you know, people debating about how much how bad you should feel, you know. But, yeah, in my case, I that was definitely a factor because in Albuquerque, especially when I pl was playing there, you know, you could see some of these people shouldn't be playing. Some of these people couldn't really afford the amount of money they were losing, you know, I, I knew one guy, which I talk a little bit uh, about in my first book. I know somebody who, you know, he had taken out a second mortgage on his house because he was obviously a, this was a guy I played with regularly. He was, you know, just a de degenerate gambler and he ended up getting killed and nobody really knows, you know, what happened to him, but it's possible he, you know, borrowed money from the wrong person or who knows what, you know, I don't, I don't really know, but it was a suspicious death. Uh, but yeah, th these things, these are real things to think about, you know, and, um, I, I, I definitely, yeah, I, I definitely had that conflict of, you know, we're, we're free people doing things, but obviously people have, uh, some people have problems, obviously, obviously, and that, yeah, that, that's something to deal with, uh, to think about. And, uh, also just the, there, there was that vibe of, um, you know, it, it, poker can be kind of alienating in the sense that when you're playing live, even though you're around people, it's like some of those people are problem gamblers. Some of them are kind of assholes because they're, you know, either winning player assholes or just people that are can afford to lose, but they're just angry because they're kind of addicted to the game and, and bitter about stuff. And it's, it was pretty few and far between when I interacted with people that I actually wanted to hang out with or, you know, be friends with. So that's mm -hmm. definitely, yeah, that, that's kind of a, a related thing because it is just kind of, it can be kind of a dark uh, game full of a lot of people that are addicted to the game, really. Now, I, I you know, obviously asked about that, and that's the impression, especially of the back room style. I'm going to guess that in a tournament, it's different. Right, yeah. I think tournaments are, uh, tournaments have a, because they are, you know, big events and some people might just play a tournament like once or twice a year there. It's, it's not, pre, it's not pre-selecting for the hardcore people that are coming out every day. So yeah, you have a point there. And, and, and I, I mainly was a almost entirely like 99%. I was a cash game player, which is like 
the regular, you know, game that just ends when you want to get up and leave. There's no beginning or end to it. It's not a tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, yeah, you're right. That the tournament does um, have a cheerier atmosphere because it's more people having fun and maybe just doing it, you know, occasionally. So that's a good, yeah. And does it work that way? And I'm making an assumption. I'm guessing that you pay X amount of money to go into a tournament and that's right. it. That's you're all in and you play as long then as you're, you're there. Yeah. And then you're, you're out. out when you're out and uh, you, you, there might be some other structure to it. Like you rebuy, you're allowed to rebuy within the first X number of hours or something. But yeah, it's, it's basically like once you're out, you're out and you, you go home and if you place within the X number of players, you get X number of money, you know, uh, it's a much more structured thing. And, and some people who go to the world series of poker might only play, uh, you know, the World Series of Poker has several, uh, a, b- a bunch of tournaments associated with it. It's not just the one main tournament. There's like a bunch of World Series of Poker tournaments. And the people, the kind of people who go to those things might just play a few tournaments a year. That might be the extent of their their, their poker playing, yeah. Do you have to qualify? Oh, in tournaments? No. Anybody can, you know, unless it's some, unless it's some special kind of invitational thing. Anybody can play in any poker, in pretty much any poker tournament. Yeah. As long as you put the money down, yeah. Okay, and you got into it a little bit, um, you know, of what you need. Can you describe the personality set that someone would need to have it? I mean, maybe, you know, more specifically, I understand, you know, the alligator blood, and you kind of touched around it, but what are you looking for, for somebody to say, you know what, maybe you should be a poker player? Yeah, I mean, honestly, with with the landscape these days, you know, poker has become much harder uh, a game. Well, especially in COVID times, but even before um, the last few years, it's it's a much harder game. I mean, there's many the, the state of the game, the state of the art of the game has progressed so much. You know, with with so many strong uh, classes you can take. Like there's online uh, train poker training sites, and some of that stuff is is so good now uh, that the game has just advanced tremendously. Like it would be hard for many players who win live, like at, at live games, in person games. It would be many. It would be hard for a lot of those players to win even at a low stakes game online, for example, because the competition online is is so great. For example, you have people from developing countries who may be playing low stakes and are taking it very seriously and studying mm. a lot, and that even pennies, uh, you know, or a few dollars to them is is a significant amount, money. amount of money and worth and worth putting in that effort, you know, globally. But um, so, you know, the, the, the game has just advanced so much. And, and even in the in the live games, like the your average cash game you would go to in Vegas during the World Series of Poker, um, you know, is it has gotten much harder over the years because you, it attracts all these skilled players from around the world who, you know, are going there for these loose games that that uh, attract a lot of tourists tourist players, mm. recreational players. Uh, but, you know, these because these games attract so many people uh, to Vegas, you know, for example, uh, or to other places during different times of the year, uh, they also attract all the, you know, all the sharks, you know, so you're playing, you might be playing against a few recreational players at the table, but you might have, you know, several very good players who, you know, uh, who have come out for that same reason. Uh, so I, w- you know, to answer your question, it would, I, I could give you, I could definitely give you those psychological uh, traits that I would name, but I would also say like it's a tough, it's a, it's gotten increasingly tough to make a living at poker, and 
to really put in that work. You, you'd have to put in so much more work now than you would have, you know, back, say, in the poker boom days when you could go mm. online and be like one of the best games and the best players in the game very easily or even in a, in a live game, too. Um, yeah, it's just the competition has just increased so much and the knowledge of the game has increased so much. But if I had to name a few characteristics that pre-select for somebody making it, it's being very humble. It's the, it's the humility aspect of, of recognizing it, it will probably take you many years to be very good. Uh, being very objective, you know, being willing to find flaws in yourself and, and really examine those flaws and, and, and being super honest. And then it's just trying to work hard at not being results oriented, be, results oriented because as humans, we are kind of wired to be results oriented. You know, there's so many things in life that could go one way or another. And we tend to judge how it turns out instead of like how mm. the strategy that we use, you know, for example, like we do something at work and, uh, you know, we get fired for it or we get in trouble for it and, and we judge it based on whether we got in trouble, not as to whether we made the right decision or not or something, you know, something like that. Where so we're it's very process driven, process yeah, driven process versus driven. results. Yeah. And, and I guess that goes with okay. the, the honesty. It's just really examining, you know, being willing to, to logically examine everything and, and not be emotionally, try not to be emotionally affected by it because we have that instinct too. You know, when bad things happen, we take a bad beat at poker our instinct is to, to be emotional. And so you kind of have to beat that, you know, out of yourself and, and, and really be willing to be like, why am I getting emotional? Why, why is this bothering me? If I know I made the right decision, you know, things, things like that, you know? Uh, and so you have, you really have to be objective. And I think, I think if anything, even if you don't end up being a strong poker player, uh, long term, I think there is something really valuable to poker in the way that it forces you to confront all of these things and, you know, it, it makes you less results oriented, oriented in life because you try to be more objective and try to see like, well, yeah, things might have turned not turned out very well, but I tried my best and I, you know, did the best with my knowledge at the time. You know, those kinds of realizations. I, I really think there's kind of a Zen kind of learning from it where you become less attached to how things turn out or, or the, the twists and turns of fate, you know. Okay, so it's kind of a, a long game principle. Like essentially, you're gonna lose, and you're gonna lose a lot. But you're you're you have to believe in the process of this is what I'm doing, and um, kind of like the stock market or whatever. You're you you can't look at this. You kind of have to, mm-hmm. you know, the up and down. You got to look at the overall slope. Are you in the right. end further ahead than when you started? That would be a nightmare. Because I don't like <laughs> losing. I don't think anybody really likes to lose. And yeah. you have to lose. I don't know. So am much. I wrong? Do you have to lose like 10 games to land one really large one that will make up for all of them? But you just it's, have to. It's not like that. But, you know, it. it is. You're right when you say you have to be a good loser. Like if the that's definitely part of it. It's because you're going to have even if you're the best player in the world, whether you're playing cash games or tournaments, you're going to have a lot of losing sessions. You're going to have a lot of losing tournaments. It's rare to, you know, get in the top X amount of the tournament and, and get that cash or to get a good cash. Um, it's, it's rare. Uh, you know, you, as a winning poker player in cash games, uh, non-tournament games, you're going to win uh, more than you lose, but mm-hmm. you might have, you know, really bad swings where you go through a, a tough patch of, of losing sessions. You might have, you know, really, really big uh, losing sessions. It's going to happen to you 
uh, you know, it's kind of like you said, it's like a stock market thing where it's like you might go down and you come up, you might go down and you come up. You know, if you look at a winning poker player's chart, there's lots of swings, but it's always, you know, trending upward. Uh, but those, you know, those downward swings can be painful and you, you can find, you know, it can really make you doubt your worldview because if you've gone for a year or two and been doing pretty well at it, and then you experience a really bad downswing and you're like, did I change? Did, am I doing something wrong? Was I lucky earlier? Am I playing better people suddenly? Like what, what is the factors here? And that can be really hard to know. And that can, that uncertainty can be really hard on you psych psychologically, you know? Um, so yeah, there's, there's a, there's a lot of factors that make it, um, tough and, and really make you be, have to be super objective or you're not going to make it. Is it oversaturated market now? Is that kind of the situation? Like you just, um, everybody's super skilled. There's too many opportunities. Is it like, uh, have you read about the gold rush in, um, you know, the California gold rush? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The I people mean, who made it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's definitely comparable. I mean, in some sense, it in some ways it, it, it attracted a lot of people to the game. I mean, there's more people playing poker now than there were, you know, um, 20 years ago. So in that sense, it's easier to find games. So there is, you know, there's positives in that sense for for poker players uh, who are serious about it. But on the other side, there is so much more competition now, and the game is so much more well understood uh that it you know at the higher stakes it can be hard to it can be harder than it used to be in, in some senses but yeah it's kind of it, you know it might it's hard to say what the truth is because there are just a lot more games in general than there used to be you know and, and there's still a lot of recreational players who just like the game and, and are attracted to it because they you know watch rounders and, and play a few times a year and find it thinks things think it's exciting but um yeah, depending on where you're at, like the part of the country or the or the the site you're on or whatever, it, it can. It, I think overall, it's 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 tougher. Yeah. Well, I was wondering too if like um, some of the money to be made now is around the game. You know, and uh, back to the mm. gold rush, the people mm, who yeah. made selling all the money were the ones who were selling the shovels. Right. I think that's less true in poker than in other uh, games. Like for example, uh, traditionally casinos have been unlikely to invest in poker real estate in a casino because you actually make a lot less from poker tables than you do from mm. other gambling games because it's mainly a you're you're you know it's mainly a person uh, player versus player game and the house is just taking a cut of every okay. pot and, and 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 real estate wise it's it's not as uh, lucrative as other games actually so um and then you can find some games that take even less than other games like for example there were games in portland running that took less money out of the game than any other game in the country just due to the the laws here uh, and they were, people were saying they were the best game in the country so depending on how much money is being subtracted is, is a big factor in how profitable the game theoretically is because you know if you get into a game where the house the casino or the house is not taking hardly any if they're taking hardly any money that's a that's more likely to be a lucrative game because there's, you know, obviously less money coming out of it. Whereas if you go to some countries where they'll take out like, you know, um, 20, $50 out of a pot, depending on the size of it, you know, that, that, that never happens in the United States. And, and, you know, a game where they're taking huge amounts of money out of the game for the house That's is obviously tax. much harder, much harder <laughs> to be, you know? Yeah. It's a huge tax. It's just uh, kind of unbeatable for some of the games. 
so you have to that's another thing you have to factor in you have to factor in like how good are the, how good are my opponents how how good do they seem how much money is coming out of it from the house et cetera et cetera okay now i'm gonna go back to you know i know everybody um on the channel or watching or listening is really probably super interested in, and that's your study of tells and body language and things like that first off the cash games you played, would you say that tells and body language may be more important in the loose games with the less skilled players versus in tournament play? Well, I think there's probably, um, I'd say overall, there's less skill, less skilled players in tournaments because it attracts people who might only play a few times a year. Um, oh, okay. I'd say it's, it's different. Um, the dynamics are different, you know, in, in, uh, tournaments, there's more of a buildup and more tension around like, well, if I get knocked out I'm I'm not, I'm, I'm out for good. You know, there's a, there's more mm. of a, of an excitement there and there can be more tension, uh, related tells, you know, somebody more likely to, to look tense, uh, behave tense when they're, when they're making a big bluff for all their stack in a tournament. Versus in a cash game when, you know, you can just rebuy, you know, rebuys are common. People are always adding on money and it's, it's a much looser environment. So there's hmm. the, the, in cash games, it's much more, you get much, much more loose tells of people betraying their uh, relaxation. You know, for example, it's because it's not a tournament and they're, and they're not worried so much about getting knocked out. They're kind of just like talking, you know, while they're playing or they're, uh, more loose physically, things like that. And, and I think that actually, um, so I was made, mainly playing uh, almost entirely cash games, which I think informed um, the way I wrote my stuff, you know, the things I decided to focus on. Because I sometimes people ask me, poker players ask me, like, is this, is this applicable to tournaments? And I have, you know, I'll tell them, like, well, I think these things are probably more applicable than these things over here. You know, you're more likely to hear people talking and get verbal tells in a cash game because people are more loose and people are more silent in tournaments, you know? Uh, so they're definitely different environments, but I think, you know, by and large, the, the behavior you see Matt is very similar. It's, it's the same behavior. It's just a matter of like how present it is basically. Okay. And I'm wondering, and I, I talked to you a little bit before we started too, but in the poker environment, is it, a very controlled atmosphere, you know, with set amount of parameters. And by that, I mean, like, um, if you're going to do an interrogation in the police department, it's a controlled setting in the meeting room, you know, where everybody is, things like that. Is it similar with poker because there's rules and basic atmosphere? Yeah, it's a very, you know, it's very formalized setting. I mean, the, the nice thing about poker for studying uh, behavior is that there are definite situational contextual things that happen over and over again, right? Like the, the, the same spots keep coming up. You know, you, you have to look at the cards on when the flop comes out, the communal cards come out you have to check or bet, you know, you have to reach for your chips. You have to, um, you know, bet on the river, make a big bet on the river. Uh, that's a common thing to do because the pot's big. Um, and, and there's these very formalized things that happen over and over, which allows you to study people in the same situation over and over, even more so than, you know, even in an interrogation, it's a, as, as, as structured as it may be, there's still like a wide open, uh, landscape of, of how somebody can act. And there's not clear, uh, things someone has to do like physical motions or, or things like that. So, um, 
that's the nice thing about it. And, you know, it allows you to do things like, you know, for example, when I was, when I'm studying poker footage, uh, from the world series of poker or on another show, it allows you to do things like, I'm going to look at this one player and see how he looks in this one situation with different cards over and over and over. over. Uh, Yes. And, and, and that's when, you know, what I did for, for my books, you know, I, you know, for example, even for the verbal, uh, book, the verbal poker tells, I actually made a, a spreadsheet and, you know, I, I spent, I worked on this book for like eight months full time. That was all I did. And I, recorded uh statements that people made in different situations from televised poker tournaments and also when i went to play i would write things down but and then that allowed me to like organize it by situation like someone has you know someone saying this kind of statement now let's examine the situations they were in when they made that kind of statement like were they Mm -hmm. did they have a strong hand were they was it post-flop was it was it pre-flop when you know was it was it late in the hand was it early in the hand uh, was it when they were uh, waiting to act like the action wasn't on them or was it after they had bet, you know, so you, there's all these situational factors that allow you to uh, examine people in, the, in these different situations. But yeah, to answer your question, it's very formalized. And I think that's the, the nice thing about it, that uh, it allows that, which I think, you know, I, I'm surprised we, we don't see more scientific studies around it because I think, I mean, we do, there are some obviously, uh, you know, mm-hmm. studying, uh, behavioral aspects in poker scenarios, but I'm surprised there's not more because I can just think of so many interesting studies you can make about like heart rate and like galvanic, mm-hmm. you know, skin response, you know, uh, conductivity. Uh, there's just so many elements of, uh, you could study about someone in different scenarios, like whether they have a strong hand on the, at the end of the hand and they're, they're checking, you know, uh, laying a trap or something, you know, what, what are they, what are the elements that keep coming up, you know, fMRI on them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. fMRI. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. If you could set that up, you know, uh, just, just so many possibilities. And yeah, sometimes I wish I was, you know, if I, if I was like a a millionaire, I'd be like, Hey, go, go do this study. I thought of, you know, well, do you, do you run your, um, theories against while you're televising? I mean, you know, like, okay, we all play Jeopardy to see if we got the answer right or real fortune when you're studying the tournaments, do you say, okay, he's going to win this hand or this is going to be the cards coming up and see if you were, you know, on yeah. or psychic? Well, so yeah, that's, that's a good question because, um, one of the things I recommend to people who, um, you know, if they're like, well, how do I learn more about tells? I recommend they find footage from uh, televised games where the whole cards were not shown, right? So there's you can find even the World Series of Poker main event did that for a couple of years where the final table they didn't show the whole cards. It, it was on a delay where it was like 30 seconds would pass after the end of the hand or something, and then they show it um, or after everybody folded or something. But um, and that's actually the the best way because otherwise, yeah, you have that cognitive you know, bias, uh, that confirmation bias of like, Oh yeah, I, I kind of knew it was that or something. But, um, the best example of that, when I was watching one of the world series of poker main events, final tables, it was with the whole cards off. And one of the players actually it was heads up. It was, so it was two players that had come down to the final two players. And this was like in 2011, I think. And I was watching that and, and forming my opinions. And, and all of a sudden I spotted something where I was like, Oh, he's, this guy had been looking down, look, looking at his opponent almost always like that was his status quo thing. His, his MO was to stare at his opponent. And all of a sudden he looks at his cards and is just looking down, you know, uh, 
and I was like, oh, he's probably got aces or, you know, something good aces, kings, queens. Cause you know, first of all, you know, those, those strong hands are, are quite rare. So it makes sense that he would be doing the, his normal MO and then something caused him to change. That's more rare. So that was the first thing. And then the flop came out and he continues looking down and I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's strong here. And sure enough, he had aces. And then once I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to start looking for that behavior. And mm. it was like, it was super correlated. You know, it was, uh, and I, I did a YouTube video about it later uh, and just showing like how much he would start looking down and kind of an instinctual way of like, well, I don't want to intimidate my opponent. My, my usual MO might be to stare them down. Right. But when I get a strong hand for, you know, his, his blind spot was, he was sandbagging, uh, right? Because he yeah, wanted to kind of like sucker him in. Yeah, he wanted to he wanted to put on a like you know, and, and I don't think it was something he he wasn't like he was intentionally doing that. And that's the interesting thing about poker tells it's like it's not like people are acting, you know, because I think in his mind he's like I'm trying to portray a tough, you know, my normal thing is to stare at somebody and portray a tough thing, but his blind spot was not realizing like oh I I'm looking down a little bit more and I and I you know he had this pattern that I don't think he was aware of because he was. Uh, he was very new to live poker. He was an online player and just wasn't, you know, that experience uh, in live poker. Okay. So that, okay. Was, that was interesting. But, yeah, it, it's great to watch that when I can uh, or when anyone can. It's great to get that experience of, like, testing your theories and being like, well, how much do I really know about what's going on here? Even for strategy stuff, too, because you can be like, try to, try to, you know, guess, you know, what, what would they be doing this with, you know, if I don't see their cards? When you consult um, for players, is that what you're doing in that case? Is you're watching them to tell them their tells, or you're watching other players to tell them the other players' tells? It's been both. It's um, so when I consulted for two the two World Series of Poker main event final table lists, who I consulted for, and this was in. 2013, 2015. Those were the you know the biggest consulting things I did. It was to, you know, they had already made the final table. So back then, if you made the final table, they played it. They played the initial tournament in like July and then it would play down to like the final nine players. And then they would take a few months break and play the final table in November. So they call it the November nine. So there was a big break. And so that allowed the players to um, prepare for that. So, yeah, they would they would hire me to look at the existing footage of other players and themselves, which was from the tournament they had just played, which was already televised, or some of the players might have been in other tournaments too, because it's kind of a small universe of, of strong players. So for a lot of the players, you could find like other tournaments that had mm -hmm. been online elsewhere, even if it was like a casino put up, uh, final, you know, some footage from a tournament that was like obscure that you had to go hunt down. Uh, so watching all that, and then during the final table itself, you know, I was looking for, for interesting things and sending it to his, the people, you know, that, uh, worked with him more closely. I was watching him from a distance, but he had people like on his, on the rail, as they call it beside the table that he would talk to occasionally. Uh, so kind of like a boxing, you know, boxing match, kind of like trainer in the corner kind of thing. Right. Uh, but you know, to be honest, it, when you, when you get to that level of like these people taking it that seriously and they had several months to prepare also like these people are like trying to be as buttoned down as possible. And, it's pretty unlikely, you know, I, I found valuable tells like the one I was telling you about, that was a very valuable tell, like they exist and they're findable and they're, and there's, and there's court, you know, strong correlations you can find, but it's also, uh, you know, much more rare to find it in that setting than it would be in like your everyday game. That's much more relaxed, for example, you know? 
Right. Well, you're like, it's kind of like the Olympics. Like, uh, I'm, I'm out of shape running wise, but when you get to that nosebleed territory of talent, that tell, you know, that, that marginal gain, that 1% is actually a giant win. Right. For them, because they're, you know, their margin of error is so tiny that if you can flip that one, you know, one percent, even a half a percent, right? They're playing actually for, uh, blowing out. They're playing for millions. Yeah, I mean, like the the people I consulted for, you know, one guy won uh, three three million, the other guy won like five million, I think. You know, they're playing for millions of dollars. So, and like you said, yeah, the if you're playing against very strong players, that that little bit of information, even if it's like just a slightly valuable clue. Uh, or like more likely to be true than not. If it if it if it uh, changes your mind in a, in a close spot, like in a spot where you would you could have either called or folded, like you weren't sure which one was right from a strategic perspective. But if you knew, like, well, this guy looks down a little bit more when he's strong, you know, mm-hmm. then that's going to lead me to call or, or to to fold or whatever. Uh, that little that little clue can, like you said, yeah, we're talking like b- very big. Uh, Numbers and very small margins of, um, you know, uh, uh, of, uh, of error or, or very small edges, basically. Yeah, theoretically. Well, this is perfect. Now, to wrap things up, where can people learn more from you on how to tell? Uh, I would say, I mean, I have a lot of actually I have a lot of videos on on YouTube that are that are free. So if you look for reading poker tells, which is kind of my my first book title that I used reading poker tells YouTube channel. Um, that's a good place to start. Then you can kind of get a sense like, Oh, I, you know, I like, I like this stuff. Uh, and I would say, um, also, even if you don't like poker, I think my, my second book, uh, verbal poker tells, I, I've had people tell me that it helped them in, uh, you know, like in law and in medicine, like h- helping understand their patients better, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, like, like you and I were talking about, I, I was inspired by, um, uh, Mark McClish's book, his, uh, his book about statement analysis to write verbal poker tells. And a lot of the, you know, some of the same concepts apply. I mean, poker is a very formalized, uh, unique atmosphere, but that was the inspiration for me to study those statements with the same kind of rigor that, you know, and, and examination that, that Mark was doing in his book. And I think a lot of that stuff, you know, if people are new to those ideas, like I, Mm -hmm. I would sooner recommend Mark's book for general purposes, but if you want to learn about some of those kind of concepts and are interested in poker, that would be a cool place to start. Cause I think it's, it's basically making, you know, the gist of that book, my book was thinking more, thinking more in depth about the things people say and looking for the logic of how statements show up and how they're likely to show up. Okay. So, and your website is reading and I'm sure that that, We'll link to everything, right? All right, that's your, got that's got books, everything. I got a podcast yeah. too. I've got my psychology and behavior podcast where I just, you know, I, I'm interested in other things besides. Uh, I'm just interested in, in psychology stuff in general. So I interview various experts in various fields, and and, and that's what that podcast is. Very cool. And I actually, when I was preparing for Mark McClish, who's been on my show, I listened to your episode with him a, a while back. He's an interesting, very interesting guy. I, I, I like that stuff. And it, it, people often ask me, like, "Oh, what's your thoughts on this behavior that such and such did in the news or current events?" And I'm like, I don't usually have strong opinions about the behavior, the physical behavior, because that can vary so much in real life. But 
the statement analysis stuff, you know, is is where I see most of the value in, in examining real world things. You know, I uh, yeah, I just I'll leave you with that. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that, that really scares me. You had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money's a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm. Hi, this is Kara Mayer Robinson, and I host Really Famous. I interview A-list celebrities. I dive deep because I used to be a therapist. This is what Tim Gunn said. I just have this antipathy for the judges. I can't stand being in the same room with them. Tim Daly. If you're not working in L.A. and you're an actor, there's no worse place to be. Michael Rappaport. I changed schools every year from the third grade to the twelfth grade. Disruptive was my thing. Chaz Palminteri. I knew something was going on. I said, I got to talk to somebody. It's Really Famous. It's like eavesdropping on a therapy session. 